0: Time.
1: This is the Scoop Duck
2: Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You're going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, left, the corner of the, zone, and it is intercepted! Intercepted! The
1: of the ball. Every story.
0: And so we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys. It's going to be
2: built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner Justin Hopkins and Matt Bagley from 961 580, The Game.
0: Hey everybody, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi with myself, Matt Bagley, Justin Hopkins via Zoom, and uh, soon we'll have Hitler Day from Addicted to Quack, and QB11 from our Scoop Duck boards. My friend, let's start this off with the
3: obvious. How was your Christmas? great uh it was good uh you know obviously a different year for everybody not just myself um you know a different year in what i do from work and a different year of you know of of people you can have around not have around and all those things but uh all that aside we just you know you just put i don't know about you but i did my best to push all that aside Mm -hmm. for a couple days and and you know we did have family come through uh you know family that we'd obviously seen in the last six, eight, nine months, however long we've been amongst this pandemic, um, and we enjoyed it. You know, just had good food and and, and enjoyed being around each other and played some games and uh, you know did presents with the kids, which is always the best part. Yeah. And uh, it, it was, I want to say, it was great. Um, I think I was able to step away from the from the scoop duck boards for a couple days and 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 just enjoy you know basically being able to do that. So. Uh, I'd love to do it all over again, but, uh, yeah, I am a big fan of Christmas. It's, it's, it's my favorite holiday. I just love the time of year. I love, you know, shopping for people and, and having them open something and, you know, getting something they didn't expect or didn't know they wanted. And, and, you know, especially with the kids and then just, uh, the aspect of having family around. So that was me in a nutshell it was, it was, you know, a little bit of chaos for a couple of days around the house with people coming in and out, but it was all family and it was all good. How about you?
0: Yeah, yeah, much of the same. Um, I, we keep a pretty tight pod. I, I think that's the uh, the word on Vogue this year, pod, between myself, my fiancé, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, and, um, and, and they live right down the street from us. It's just like a five-minute walk. So we went to their house for Christmas. Uh, the, the Hispanic family, they made uh, – my fiance's favorite meal, their uh, pozole, like a Mexican soup. And we just ate a bunch of pozole and uh, stayed up late, stayed up till midnight as Christmas Eve turned to Christmas Day. And then everybody got their gifts. And uh, I, I felt good seeing a smile on my father-in-law's face, knowing how hard he works, uh, how, how much of a struggle 2020 has been for him. Um, it felt good you know, seeing my fiance laugh. She's had a tough year and I've had a tough year and, and it felt really good. Um, we, we said it this way, everybody's had to sacrifice. Everybody has had to endure certainly the hardest year of my life and I think a, a lot of us living through 2020 can, can say the same and the fact that at the end of the year we're all together and we're all safe. I thought was was something to celebrate, so um, that's that's why we celebrated Christmas. And uh, I got a dishwasher for Christmas. I'm I'm totally jazzed <laughs> about that, man. I forget yeah, the PS5 to- and and all the uh, all the fun stuff people can get. Air fryers, screw it. I got a dishwasher, so I feel on top of the world. Uh, well, well, and, uh, welcome to adulthood. Right, yep. right. And uh, now I get to unwrap one more gift under the tree. I got a bunch of college
3: football to watch this week. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're recording this on a Tuesday. uh, The Alamo Bowls tonight. I've been, you know, been to that game several times in person because normally, normally at at this time of year, uh, the All-American game, uh, which used to be the Army Bowl down in San Antonio, Texas, uh, is usually ramping up practices and, and getting ready for the game on Saturday as well uh so you you know the uh the stadium is right around the corner from the hotel uh, you know been to that game a few times but excited for the Alamo Bowl tonight because I think Texas versus Colorado is a good matchup um probably one of the better better games of uh of bowl season this year at least uh, in my opinion yeah
1: yeah
0: um how about the uh the, the game of note Fiesta Bowl how are you feeling about that on a Tuesday
3: Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, the Ducks, obviously, I don't, I don't know. Do we say they lucked their way into it? Do we say (laughs) that because they were, you know, stuck to the protocols the best that they were, you know, or, you know, or were more, more willing to play with less players than other teams. I don't really know. We don't know all the particulars, but yeah, to get into the Fiesta bowl, awesome game. I mean, Iowa state, you know, just, I mean, that's an awesome team to face and, and, and something for me, I don't think it really comes down to a win or a loss in this game for me. I know that's important. I know that you want to end the season with a win. I understand all of those things, so I don't take that lightly. But I think that this is a a chance, a big chance for what we have now learned and witnessed to be a very young Oregon football team that's very inexperienced in a lot of ways uh, to not only experience a bowl game, which is big, which is, which is just big from an experience standpoint, but also to witness a game against an out-of-conference opponent that's very good, that's going to test you on every down and make sure that you stick to your fundamentals and don't make mistakes. Uh, you know, all that, to me, is a very valuable thing for this young team. Now, of course, you know, Mario Cristobal wants to win. These players want to win. All that's important, but along with it is going to be the experience of not only playing in a bowl game, But 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 the outcome of the bowl game, I mean, if they win, Mm -hmm. that's going to be something for them to build on, uh, you know, into next season. If they lose, there's a lot to learn from that. Why did we lose? Were we not ready? How do we get ready? What do we need to fix? You know, because you're constantly trying to take that next step. So win or lose, I think there's a lot of value here for the for this young Oregon Ducks football team. I know that fans, uh, you know, want them to win. and, And I think as long as the Ducks don't come out and just put up a dud. I think most will be okay with the outcome of this game, just considering kind of, well, 2020, the Pac-12, the season, all that's gone along with it. I think at the end of the day, you kind of take that and move forward. Yeah, yeah. The the
0: two terms I'll take away from that in agreement, you said the word young, talking about this Oregon roster, and you mentioned it's 2020. And and I I feel this way about it. I said as much on my show yesterday. It's been a terrible year. (laughs) We never want to repeat this year. You don't want to see your, your best player, maybe the best player in college football, opt out before a single snap. You don't want to see your playmaker and your heartbeat defensively opt out before a single snap. You don't want to have to replace a brilliant quarterback, uh, a record setter now in the NFL, with a guy that had never started a game in college football. You don't want to do those things, and and hopefully you never have to again. But if I told you, hey, after this crappy year, terrible year, you can win a New Year's Six Bowl, I think you take it. and I think most fans take it. And just the opportunity, just getting to that New Year's Six Bowl through that year, that's a hell of a lot better than we thought in August, right? We were planning on a 2021 season.
3: Yeah, no, I, I'm i with you. We got, we got something basically out of nothing, I guess, is the short way to do that, to answer that. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I, we got through the season and I know some of the teams decided to opt out, not pursue a bowl game. You know, I don't think that was ever a question for Oregon. I mean, there was never a doubt that Mario Cristobal, you know, wasn't going to take the extra weeks of practice and prep. And, and especially when it becomes a New York Six Bowl, like you alluded to, like, hey, this is a big bowl game. This isn't, you know, them playing for the, right, you know, well, yeah the Poinsettia Bowl or whatever hell bowl games there are anymore. But, yeah, this is a big bowl game. This is a tremendous opportunity to play against Iowa State. And, you know, let's face facts. This is kind of an important bowl game for the Pac-12. I mean, right. you know, right now, I think the only way to kind of salvage some self-respect for the Pac-12, even uh, the little bit that's left, would be a couple bowl game wins, you know. So if Colorado can beat Texas, you know, if Oregon can beat Iowa State, you know, if you can get a couple bowl game wins, I think you kind of salvage some self-respect a little bit, but I, let's be honest, that's going to be a major talking point and focal point this off-season and moving forward. You know, those are the types of things that that, you know, instead of Oregon entering the season at number 8 or 9 or 10 or somewhere in there, you know, they're down at 16 or 17. Well, it makes your job really hard when you start that far back. And, uh, I know that's big picture stuff that isn't Oregon, but you know, in some way, shape or form, it does relate to Oregon. And I think it's important.
0: Yeah, no. and, And this year should be the learning experience in that when you start as low as Oregon and USC did, there's no margin for error.
3: There's no margin for error. Yeah. Especially, you know, when you, when you play fewer games and, um, I, I think the committee taught us a lot this year. I mean, I think, uh, you know, obviously it's going to be ultimately the same committee next year coming back and, and offering, you know, their rankings. And I think it was different than it's been the last few years. So I believe Oregon and everyone else really needs to take that into consideration. Uh, I know there's only so much you can do without us out a conference scheduling. Um, but, but ultimately, yeah, I mean, I think we were taught a lot this year and, uh, I don't know. I mean, the, the Pac-12 just, you know, they, they've, got, uh, they, they've got to improve. I mean, they just need to resurrect their, their respect uh, nationally. And uh, I guess the only way to do that is, is provide some really good football teams. So yeah. maybe that's Oregon. You know, maybe Clay Helton can turn USC around. We don't really know. Um, you know, I, I, I think Washington will be a better football team. I think they were fairly young as well next year. It seems like a lot of players in the Pac twelve are deciding to come back. I know Elijah Bear Tucker is not. Jordan Scott said this morning, he's not coming back to Oregon. I think Oregon's gonna be okay. I don't think there's anybody that they have to have back for next year. I think Diamador Lenore would be um would be the guy and I think he's undecided at this point. I'm going to guess that he goes to the NFL, but I mean that for me is the one guy that if you said, hey, if Oregon could have anybody come back and play that freebie season next year, who would it be? Mm -hmm. It would be Lenore for me, not because I don't trust James, uh, DJ James or Dante Manning. I mean, let's just face it, that's one of the best corner tandems out there with Mikel Wright and Diamador Lenore. That makes this team infinitely better in my mind. Yeah.
0: Like you're saying, the Pac-12 has an opportunity. You have that Vegas penthouse suite. Now you got to (laughs) go earn it. Uh, Get a bowl win. Show the country what you're made of. Otherwise, show the country that, uh, well... (laughs) You're made of something else. Hopefully that's not the case. Uh, We'll dive into the Fiesta Bowl. Also, I want to tell people we'll address the Andy Avalos topic. That's the number one reason why we didn't tape yesterday. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to tell you what we know, tell you what we think, what we feel, and we hope that that doesn't get spoiled by any breaking news later today. Uh, I talked about this earlier. Hithleday from Addicted to Quack. He's gonna join us. As will QB11 from Scoop Duck. These guys know X's and O's inside and out. They do a great job covering the tactical side of Oregon football, and I think today they can teach us a lot about a team we probably don't know well. Uh, can we can we start that now? Can we just jump right into that? What do you think?
3: Let's hop right into it. I'm ready.
0: All right. All right. Justin Hopkins wants to hop right in. We'll do that next. Scoop, duck, and hi-fi. Fiesta Bowl. Big week. Bowl game for the Ducks. And what I love about this matchup is it's a school you probably don't follow intimately. I think that Pac-12 fans generally know the other Pac-12 schools. So you you know Washington because you watch them. You know Oregon State. You know USC, etc. I think generally college football fans know blue chips. You're Bama, Notre Dame, Texas, Ohio State, what have you. Iowa State, I don't think fits into either category. And and I think back to the um the real trend of the off season, the big nickel. That's an X's and O's concept I want to talk about today with you guys. I think that's all people really know about Iowa State. Let's start with Hith. What do you know about Iowa State?
1: Uh, Too much. Uh, I just watched all 11 of their games and charted them. uh, Still running through the statistical engine, but... uh, um, boy, I, I, learned way more about the big 12 than I really wanted to. Uh, I put out a tweet a little while ago. Uh, the, the most shocking thing about the big 12, frankly, is, uh, it, it's the Pac 12, but worse, frankly, the, 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 there's less talent to go around. Uh, the defenses aren't as good and the refereeing is atrocious. Um, so actually, uh, contrary to your suggestion, Matt, I think if you know the Pac 12, you know, the big 12 pretty well. <laughs> Uh, how about you, QB Eleven?
2: Uh, well, I think they're the the best coach team that Oregon's played in two years. Um, it's not not to crap on your Beavers because Jonathan Smith does a great job there, but uh, <laughs> Matt Campbell and staff, I think they've done a great job just fitting schemes to what they can recruit. They've recruited really well. They've hit on some guys like Bree. We'll talk about Brees Hall, I'm sure, and um, some of the other guys that they have, Brock Purdy, but. Uh, they just, they're just very well coached. They're very physical team. They just kind of do everything, everything as well as they possibly could given their, their athletic, uh, measurables.
1: I I think I certainly agree with that as an excellently coached team, you know, you do not see assignment errors. You don't see them. They know what their strengths and weaknesses are. They lean into their strengths. They don't uh, do dumb stuff that puts their weaknesses exposed. Um, the, if schematically they are not the same personnel, they are not the same, but if Oregon fans want a reference point, like a quick, easy reference point to what the talent versus coaching profile of the team that they're going to play on Saturday uh, would be, I would point them to Wisconsin. It's, it's another team where it's like the talent is kind of modest. They have a great running back. They know it and they lean into it. Uh, And you know, they get where they get because they're, you know, uh because the coaching is excellent their assignment sound they know what schematically they want to do and they go out and execute it um so you know obviously like i said it's not wisconsin it's not even a poor man's wisconsin they do things very differently but you want to compare talent profiles you want to compare coaching like it's not a bad reference point
3: um I guess let's start here. Offensive side of the ball for Oregon. Uh, we're pretty well aware of what Joe Marhead's trying to do. we we did see a little bit more Anthony Brown last week. Uh actually a lot more Anthony Brown than we've saw all year. What what are uh, what are the keys for this offense? What do they need to do against this Iowa State defense to be successful? What's kind of the you know, the, the keys to set them up for success this week? Uh QB, why don't you go ahead and start and, and hit? You can follow.
2: I think the number one thing is pass pro. They just they just need to tighten a lot of things up. Um, Iowa State, so far this year, I haven't charted nearly as many games as uh, as Hiff, but they they don't bring more than four very often in terms of pass rush. Uh, but they do bring the four in a lot in a variety of different ways. So making sure that Oregon's not not giving one guy a free run when they're only rushing four like they've done several times this year. They surrendered several reps of leg like of that kind to USC. The offensive line just has to do a much better job in terms of protection calls, assignments, um, and picking things up. Not not getting so tunnel visioned on the guy in front of them. If Oregon can do that, I think they've got a good chance because they're going to have to be able to throw the ball vertically. Uh, that's the that's the weakness personnel wise for this Iowa State team. <laughs>
1: Uh, That's definitely true. In fact, uh, I'm not even seeing rush four very often. They're usually Russian three, Um, and and it's not with like stunts or twists or anything. I mean, it's you know it's a five o five front basically or a four i o four i where you know they line up a nose over the center, they line up their ends you know either over or shaded just off the tackles, and then they run right at them. I mean, that's ninety percent of their pass rush is three dudes running right at them. And the reason I let off talking about like, you know, how shocked I am at the big 12 is that, you know, in eight of their 11 games, that was all they needed to do because their defensive line was just destroying those offensive lines with simple bull rush. And then they played Oklahoma state and then they played Texas and then they played the better version of Oklahoma in the Pac-12 championship game, or excuse me, the big 12 championship going and do that a lot. Uh, and, and QB is absolutely correct as soon as the pass rush you know, as soon as the offensive line holds up against the pass rush that's it you know you, you can set up deep shots and take advantage of these defensive backs who are you know they, they just can't hold up in man coverage they're just not talented enough especially not against you know more talented receivers Um, and, and that's how you beat them now schematically Iowa's, uh, Iowa State's uh, defense is pretty interesting and I actually think it's going to catch on more and more it's very well suited to shutting down air raids because it's uh you know they, they just drop a lot of uh, folks into coverage it's sort of difficult to describe this without a whiteboard but you know they are they love gumming up the short intermediate routes with just a bunch of line. you know when you watch them it looks like they've got 10 different linebackers and dbs on the field simultaneously. you're like how do they have that many dudes but you know and so against you know air raid type teams like usc would be destroyed by this defense um you know, teams that want to take a lot of, you know, the short march down the field, you know, kind of stuff, or just run the ball into the open space that they're, you know, linebackers who play way off the line, you know, they're they're willing to let you have five yard runs. They're not willing to let you have 10 yard passes and they're, but their only way of uh, stopping deep shots is, you know, for the pass rush to get home or to hope that the quarterback makes a mistake. Um, But, you know, if the, if the offensive line holds up and the quarterback, frozen an accurate you know deep ball it's good night i mean that's how every team that beat them beat them and and soundly at that
3: uh is this a game so you know i know that uh at least from what i've read so far hith i think you've been pretty pro tyler shuck maybe not pro is probably not the word but mm. just haven't been ready to you know close the book on him and i'm not and, ready and,
1: to give him the hook i, I think he, folks who are are being premature gotcha
3: Uh, Based on what we saw uh, against USC Anthony Brown coming in, do you you believe that Anthony Brown should get more snaps in this game? Was that just by design? Do you think that was just enough of the mix between the two? Where are you kind of at with this thing?
1: I don't think that Shuck versus Brown has anything to do with downfield passing simply because in the USC game, there wasn't any downfield passing. I mean, that was a, that was very obviously a strategic choice that Joe Moorhead or the coaching staff in general. I don't know who's really making the calls, but the coaching staff made a decision simply not to throw the ball downfield in that game. And you know, there's, I'm not kidding. There's like five, you know, set up in the pocket, throw downfield. Most of the throwing is, you know, RPO stuff, which is, you know, dependent on the defense. Um, And, you know, the reason why I think that game does not provide evidence for a hypothesis that the coaching staff favors Anthony Brown is because Brown was also not throwing it deep. He was in running specialty packages that were that were other RPO type of plays, you know, and and coming from Boston College, where he was the starter for three years, I can tell you because I did film study on that one, too. I wrote a whole article about Anthony Brown in the offseason. It's he was playing in a drop back play action, uh pass, you know, system. If they wanted somebody to throw the ball down the field in that game and they were comfortable with Anthony Brown, then that's what you would have seen, but you didn't. It was a strategic decision based on the fact that uh, USC's pass rush was just overwhelming uh, Oregon's offensive line. They just did not feel that they were ever going to be able to have the time to set up in the pocket. And they didn't want to throw interceptions because that's how USC had come back in their, you know, three different comeback games. So, I don't really think the USC game gives us any data about any sort of quarterback uh, controversy at all. Um, Again, I don't really want to tie myself to the, you know, at the hip to Tyler Shuck. you know, for me, I'm just saying the jury's still out. Uh, But you know, that, that notion that like Anthony Brown's going to start and he's going to rescue the Oregon offense. Like there's about three things wrong with that hypothesis. (laughs) It's it's just not, you know, if I had to go out and make a prediction, I'm I'm far more confident that you will see Tyler Shuck, you know, starting and playing that entire game, maybe with Brown in for some specialty packages, like you said, against USC. I think the more likely change that they're going to make is maybe some offensive line changes. They already made one to their pattern uh, against USC where they moved Steven Jones and had him playing guard uh, during some drives. Uh, I think that you might see a little more uh, offensive line tinkering because, uh, like QB said, like that sort of determines how the offense is going to go in this game.
2: QB, your yeah, thoughts I, on the matter? Yeah, I 100% agree with Hiff. I, I jumped the gun and did the emotional knee jerk thing, which I try to not do. And Hiff called me on it when I did it on Twitter um, and said that I don't think uh, Shuck is a incumbent starter for next year. I think there should be a competition. Then I watched the tape and it's like there's He made mistakes. There certainly were things that I'm sure he'd like to have back. Um, the interception that he tried to force downfield in like triple coverage was it was that was like typical young quarterback impatient with with the way that the game is going, just trying to throw something downfield. They, they called other shot plays trying to do attack vertically, but the pass protection didn't hold up long enough for any of those plays to really develop. So I 100% agree with Hippolyte in kind of circling back to the point I made at the beginning of the podcast. The Oregon offensive line, the rotation, how they handle pressure. Um, and again, this should be a pretty milquetoast, vanilla look for them. Uh, especially when you compare it to what UCLA and USC was doing, where they're throwing the kitchen sink both in terms of numbers and variety at the Oregon offensive line. Uh, Hopefully they can hold up because there's going to be opportunities with guys like Devin Williams downfield against this Iowa State team. So uh, I'm not writing off Tyler Shuck. I think he needs to improve. There's things he he needs to be more consistent on his RPO and zone read reads. Uh, He's probably about 80% right now. Day probably knows the real number. Um, He needs to be at 99%. Those are binary reads. He needs to be more consistent with those. Mm -hmm. But overall, I think his play is largely being dictated right now by the offensive line.
1: Uh, that That's about right. That's how I see it, too. Like, the there's two different things. Well, really, three different things that you need to separate out for quarterback performance uh, The people have knocked him on. One is RPO reads, which it, it, against Cal, I count him making five uh, incorrect reads. And that's bad. You know, the, the number should be zero. As QB says, it's a binary thing, and you can you can hit zero percent. And so that ought to be the expectation. Against USC, I really only count him making uh, one that affects the play in a negative negative way. Like he he had one bad game in terms of RPOs, and then he turned it around the next game. And, you know, I'm fairly uh you know, I'm reasonably confident. I'm hopefully optimistic that, that, that will continue. Second factor is downfield passing. We don't have any data on that one uh against USC, but in, you know, because like I said, they weren't thrown it downfield, but in previous games, like, did everybody forget like the huge passes that he was hitting against Stanford and Washington state and you like, uh, you know, or, so you know, some of those, you know, amazing improvised play. That's the third factors. You know, how does he do when he has to improvise plays? Cause if the offensive line is breaking down. He's going to have to do that a lot. I, you know as i charted he's excellent as a scrambler like uh, he is excellent improvising plays like remember the amazing throw he makes to devin williams in the uh, against oregon state like you know that's an improvised play guys uh you know I, he tallies out very well under pressure you know I, the, a lot of the criticism that i've seen of the guy on twitter i'm just like I, that's fabricated that's emotional like mm-hmm. when you actually chart out the games you know as qb says you see mistakes the same mistakes that you would expect from any, you know, starter who's halfway through his first season. Um, you know, the, the question is whether he dips below a certain threshold of like, okay, you've now been doing this long enough. You shouldn't be making those mistakes that many, you know, anymore. Then you might say, give him the hook, but we're, we're not there yet. Uh, we're not close to that point yet. Mm-hmm. Although I agree with QB, I would like to see an open quarterback competition for 2021. Like, why not? The quarterback room is so loaded. You know, if you can beat out Tyler Shuck, you must be a pretty good quarterback. I'd love it.
3: So if you were Joe Moorhead or, or Mario Cristobal or both, would you uh, would you use a spot to bring back Anthony Brown next year?
1: Um, no. I, I think the quarterback room's real loaded and I think that the uh the the, the talent that they have between uh Ty Thompson, Jay Butterfield, Robbie Ashford, uh Kale Millen, um, you know, and Tyler Shuck like needing five, I, I don't think the situation's gonna get that dire. So yeah, I, I agree.
2: So yeah, I, I don't think that's good roster management. Plus there's no way that Anthony Brown's gonna want to stick around without a guaranteed spot for his last year of eligibility. Right, right. So, uh, defensively for the Ducks,
3: uh, Iowa State's going to bring something a little different than I think we've seen this year. Um, what what does this Oregon defense need to do well on Saturday in order to, uh, you know, try and limit what Iowa State can do? What are kind of the keys for the defense this week uh, against Iowa State? Uh, QB, why don't you go ahead and start us off?
2: Uh, the first thing is they need to continue on this upper trajectory they've had over the last couple of weeks in terms of gap assignment, because... Uh, Iowa State's going to line up in a lot of 12 personnel and try to mash on us. And they've got a really good running back, and they've got a mobile quarterback. Um, they, they're a lot like our offense um, in terms of how they like to operate. They like to be in 12 personnel. They do run zone read. They run some RPO. Uh, but their identity is physicality up front. I don't think that their talent is outrageous in the offensive line, but they're very, uh, they're very sound technically, and, and they do a good job with positioning. So we need to match that defensively in the front seven. We need to tackle well. And then, uh, especially in the open field, players like uh, Jamal Hill, any of our outside linebackers, hopefully Adrian Jackson's back for this game, they need to leverage the ball well in space because Brock Birdie's a pretty dangerous runner.
1: I I don't find Iowa State's offense nearly as schematically interesting as I find their defense, and so I, I I in my mind I tend to talk down to them, but I shouldn't because it is still it is just as efficient. Like I just ran the efficiency numbers. Um, you know this isn't the full numbers, but you know in all four quadrants of football they're at about 53% efficiency. You know meaning, uh, you know whether they're running the ball or passing the ball or stopping the run or stopping the pass, they're you know they win 53% of their snaps. Um uh that is evidence of a well-coached team it's also evidence that they're not overwhelming anybody with talent you know, because you know look at the roster there there's they're playing two four stars um and, and uh one of them is the running back brees hall who is very good um and you know he's he acts as his own blocker you've gotta you know tackle him because the offensive line uh is doing a journeyman's job at opening holes for him, but he's really the one who's making the big runs happen. Uh, you know, definitely got to tackle him, you know, the first time around the other one's a wide receiver who's been named skates who's underperforming. Um, They really don't have any wide receivers, frankly, by, by far their most, you know, uh, the, the wide receiver that they target the, the most is Xavier Hutchinson Um uh, he, I would compare him. The reason I made the Wisconsin comparison earlier is that it's sort of like Wisconsin and you know Quentin Cephas last year, where they've got one wide receiver and if the throws not going to him. It's not going to a wide receiver. Um, the difference is they play three tight ends on virtually every snap. Now, how they actually line up is kind of screwy um, or, or it's weird. You know, they will frequently split those tight ends out and then move one or two or even three in. You know, up against the offensive line either as a or as an H back. Um, And, and, you know, that's really what you have to do to contain their passing game is figure out what the heck the tight ends are doing, Um, you know, because all three of them are talented pass catchers. Uh, And it's really, you know, where the offense operates out of um, uh, is hitting those tight ends. So, yeah, the you know, the, the key is going to be. Uh tackling well. Uh, if they can get pressure on the quarterback, Purdy does tend to make a lot of mistakes. He puts the ball in danger a lot. Um, he he throws 50 50 balls uh to receivers who are not good enough to to back that up. And he's frankly been pretty lucky that he hasn't been intercepted more. His passer rating has fallen all three years, um, largely because he keeps throwing more and more interceptions. Um, and uh and finally just being able to cover the tight ends, which means, you know, as we've been saying all year, the defense is gonna go as the safeties go.
2: Yeah, I think uh, we, we saw a little bit of solidification of the rotation at safety against USC. You saw a, bit, a lot of Bennett Williams, Jamal Hill, and Bro McKinley together, and hopefully that continues to be the case because they, they're playing pretty good football for us. And what was probably the weakness of the defense is, is certainly starting to uh, become, I would say, better than adequate now with those three in. Um, the the other thing that Hifladeh mentions is I think that this is a game where Kayvon Thibodeau can flat-out take over. I don't think either of these tackles athletically oh, are good no. enough to, to block him <laughs> by themselves. Close. And I can see Dorless having a big impact as well. So the Oregon pass rush could genuinely, if Oregon can get out and score a few points, the Oregon pass rush could take over just like they did against USC. Uh, the big thing is is that you're likely going to see some of these tight ends, these backs chipping on Kayvon. So somebody else has to step up and win, and win a one-on-one matchup.
3: Uh, I've got two more questions. I don't know about bat, but my first one, uh, is fairly simple. Uh, day do you, do you have or offer a, uh, a score or outcome prediction on this one?
1: Uh, I'm not close enough to be able to do that. Sorry. <laughs> I, I I've still got a little more charting to do when I run the statistics. Uh, ask me later.
3: You're afraid org is going to score that many points, huh? Uh, yeah,
2: that, <laughs> that must be it. <laughs>
3: QB, what's your prognostication?
2: I don't, I don't have a great feel for the score of this game. Uh, I think it's probably a seven to ten point game, one way or the other. Uh, I could, I probably would take Oregon 31 thirty-one twenty-four, something along those lines. Um, but it really, honestly, is going to come down to offensive line play because the talent in general, like if you're just looking at on a per player basis in the front seven for uh, for Iowa State, is not exceptional by any stretch of the imagination. But Oregon's offensive line's got to actually show me that they can consistently perform. Guys like TJ Bass, hopefully, with Sala, is going to be healthy. Stephen Jones needs to be dominant. I mean, these they, they can't be losing reps to, to marginal talent anymore. Uh, it, not, not in a game like this, where Iowa State's going to be very well prepared and they're going to have a good plan. Uh,
3: my next question uh, is something not necessarily a Applicable to this game, but uh, as we know, uh, players have an extra year of eligibility. We did talk about that very briefly with Anthony Brown. From this Oregon team now, uh, QB, why don't you start? Is there anybody that, if you were Mario Cristobal, you would uh, bring back for next year, giving them that extra year of eligibility?
2: Yeah, I would get on my hands and knees and beg Lenore to come back. Um, that would be number one. I would, I would anticipate that fall, you would come back. Uh, I don't, unless he's really dying to go get a normal job. Um, Jordan Scott has declared this morning. He's gone outside of those guys. There's not, I mean, we, there's really not a lot of seniors in general. So, um, most everybody that no, not, not really. I think those are the kind of the ones, the main guys.
1: Uh, I would say of the. I'll restrict myself to the 2017 guys because they're the ones most likely. Right. Uh, I would say Popo, Popo Amavi. Um, other than Diomedor, obviously. Um, simply because I, I, uh I, you know, if Jordan's out, then I, I think I, I, I like I, I like Popo as a big guy. I, I'll put it that way. Like, uh, I think this offense needs you know uh in, in, in a real big player anchoring it and you know I, I'm not sure what the uh, and I wouldn't want to trust you know freshmen to do that now, you know maybe the freshmen were even better, but like yeah, I like popo i I think next year might be his year.
2: well, popo's like a retro junior. I thought we were talking about guys that are seniors in eligibility clock.
1: I, I don't know he's 2017 I, I can't keep track of any of these guys yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm just restricting red- myself red- to the yeah. 2017 yeah. class.
2: I got you.
3: Look, Lenore is a no-brainer to me as well. The only other one I, I'd consider heavily is Jalen Red and just the the unique skill set he brings to the receiver room. Uh, I know that the guys they're bringing in are, are probably a little bit more talented, but he was the only other one for me that I thought would make a good fit for this offense and, and kind of add that extra little dimension, uh, at least to that room in particular.
2: Yeah, I guess those are guys I wouldn't anticipate. I guess I don't know where they would go. Like, what are they declaring to go do? Um, sure. those guys aren't they're not high NFL ceiling guys so right again Jalen Red might get an opportunity in a camp somewhere Austin Fall you might get an opportunity in a camp somewhere but those aren't surefire roster guys like Lenore is and honestly Scott really isn't either so we'll see what Scott can do I wish them all the best I hope they come back but if they decide to go um, best of luck to them in their future endeavors
1: well You know, I think it's more of a global comment, you know, I, I pulled up my Oregon roster. I sorted by the recruiting class. I looked at the 2017 guys and, you know, just running down them. And it's like every single one of these guys, there's someone who came in in a later class who has a higher talent ceiling. Uh, and has been getting reps, you know, that this is the nature of Mario Cristobal's roster management is such that everyone, you know, there isn't a single player, even Diamond or there isn't a single 2017 who, if they declared tomorrow, uh, I would say that the 2021, you know, uh, um, uh, version of the Oregon Ducks football team would be significantly harmed by that. I would say, oh, oh well, there is an extra loss added to the schedule. If the entire 2017 group uh, went as QB says, I wish them all the best, but Uh, you know, and I I don't mean to talk down to them at all, but it's just the, the, you know, Cristobal has had to plan for that kind of thing to happen. Uh, He did so because he's the best roster manager in this
2: league. And
1: so therefore it could happen and they wouldn't miss a beat or at least I don't think so.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I a hundred percent agree with that statement. I think uh, Lenore will be the toughest one to replace because experience at corner, it, it takes time. Like even thinking back to the year, where Efo, uh, Terrence Mitchell, and Troy Hill were all freshmen and redshirt f- freshmen playing their first reps. I mean, those guys all ended up being really good players. Two of the three are still on active NFL rosters, and they got torched at times. And so when you have young corners, you're going to give up some big plays. They're going to take their lumps. Um, luckily, we'll have right back who has taken his lumps already, and he'll be an experienced guy. DJ James is starting to really play well. But um, if you could add a, an experienced veteran corner with, with good talent, which Lenore is, uh, that's always a positive. E- everybody else, um, you've already seen them kind of start to lose reps and get not necessarily phased out. But, I mean, we're running basically three pl- platoons on the interior of the defensive line. Like follow you and Scott are running together. But then we're also bringing in Popo and Ware Hudson or we're bringing in Williams and Dorless And the rep share there. Is probably more heavily leaning towards Williams and Dwarless than it is towards Foley and Scott. So it's getting those close. guys. It's 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 one of those things where, yeah, you're losing two guys out of a six man rotation right now. But you, there's been reports. I mean, they're mostly reports. So you take them for with a grain of salt because the accuracy sometimes isn't always there. But you're seeing reports of guys like Jason Jones and Michael Afaisi starting to get reps with the twos in practice. It's like there's, there's going to be plenty of bodies on in the interior of the defensive line. Um, so whatever happens, happens, and Oregon's going to be fine for it. The biggest losses were taken last year when guys like Holland and Sewell, who are high-level, high top end of the draft, top half of the draft prospects, are opting out with the year of eligibility left. Whereas these, if you're already on campus as a senior, the likelihood is is that you're, you're probably a good player, but from an NFL standpoint, not, not nearly the quality.
1: I'll I'll throw in some shots at other Pac-12 teams because that's what I'm good for, right? Uh, This conversation, the like... Well, the 2017 class could go in the 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021 classes are all, you know, so much better that, you know, it doesn't matter. And, uh, and, and, and on top of that, they have managed that inflection point, right? Like they've, they've figured out that that is the case and they are playing those guys more. So that they are ready to make that replacement. That is not something that I can say about any other team in the league. It's not something that I can say about USC, where I would be here for an hour if I wanted to start talking about the roster management in los angeles it's not something that i can say about washington which it was washington was in a similar talent profile because they too went through this where they were operating for three years with like pretty modest uh recruiting classes and then they got you know the 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 last couple of cycles they've not this one obviously but the three prior to that uh you know where they got a lot of talent and washington you know i I guess we're all supposed to respect chris peterson but i don't think he's Roster management was very good because he didn't Do precisely what we've been talking about uh, Which is figure out that the New guys are better than the old guys and Play the new guys and That's what's exciting to see About Oregon is that they not Only are bringing in very Talented new guys but they know it And they're making that transition faster Rather than slower they're hitting the gas Not the brakes and Boy the Pac-12 is full of Full of roster managers who love to hit The brake pedal
2: yeah, and the, the thing, too, just to highlight and just kind of add to that is that Oregon is recruiting at a super high level, but they're playing these guys young. They're not afraid to put them out there in meaningful time. Guy Like, Braden Swinson is not ready to play a lot of snaps. He still needs to get a lot stronger. But you see his natural talent and his size and his frame. But these reps that you're giving him in meaningful time, like, yeah, you might have a couple unsuccessful plays here and there throughout the course of games in the season that you might not have if you stuck with the more – Uh, veteran players, but those reps are invaluable over the course of a three or four year career because when we, when those guys are soft, true sophomores or redshirt sophomores, or in this case, they'll be true freshmen again next year, they're going to have substantial experience under their belt that will be invaluable in a normal season.
1: And I mean, this is the silver lining of 2020. If if we can find one to this God awful year, it's that like if you properly viewed this season as you know, warm up, as preseason, as training camp for 2021, you know, I don't think there's a team in the Pac-12 that did a better job of it than Oregon did because you know they took that message to heart, right? Like they they actually you know did all of that rotation. I can tell you, you know, having watched every other Pac-12 team and done substantial film study on all of them, most of them felt like their backs were up against the wall. They had to play their seniors and win now uh, because. They couldn't afford that kind of experimentation. They couldn't afford to put the new guys in and give them reps. They needed to win. And, you know, I, I don't want to make excuses for losing to Cal. Like that's not my objective here, but like, I could tell you watching Cal, like Cal wasn't experimenting with new players. Cal wasn't, you know, putting in uh, uh new schemes or trying out a new package. Uh, you know, they had to win because they were an 0-3 and three team. Oregon didn't view it that way. And I think, the record, first, you know, better or worse, shows where you know their where their priorities were, which is the future.
2: Yeah, I mean, we, you really just have to look at the participation report in meaningful time. Oregon's playing, depending on who's available at that time of week, anywhere from probably thirty to thirty-seven guys this year on defense. I mean that those those reps. I mean, again, people were really really hard on Troy Hill all the way up until his senior year. People are going to be really hard on some of these young guys early in their careers. I mean, even even some of the veterans are starting to play better as the season goes on. ISM just had his best game of the year after kind of struggling early. Um, But these reps are going to pay just massive dividends after a full real offseason. But here, guys, I got to actually hop off the call. I got to deal with some stuff for work. So um, I'll let you guys finish up. Yeah, well, ju-
0: Justin, a per-
3: almost, you- almost a perfect segue because that's about where I was at. I was out of questions. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, and, and, and you asked me earlier if I had any questions. I did, and the guys kept just bringing them up in conversation. I thought this was maybe the easiest interview we've ever done because you guys nailed this. I'm yeah. never
1: certain if that's a backhanded compliment or not.
0: No, no, it total- <laughs> I totally. I you don't know this, or you might from all the times we've talked now. I'm Mr. Serious. I don't have a sarcastic bone in my body, literal to a fault. So I mean that in the <laughs> sincerest compliments.
3: It's uh no, it's nice when, when the conversation kind of flows, uh, that feels more like a natural podcast to me rather than like a Q and a session, you right. know, answering. so, you know, I enjoy when it's, you know, Hey, you know, hit says something that, that, you know, I want to take off on a tangent or, you know, QB does or, or you know, or Matt or whoever, it just, it makes the conversation flow more naturally. So no, I appreciated all of it. And, you know, we definitely appreciate you Hith and, and QB for coming on, like you've done all year. And, and uh, hopefully we can have you on uh, next week and possibly talking about a Ducks win over Iowa state.
1: Looking forward to it.
3: Yeah.
0: Hey, uh, wh- while Hith steps out, I just want to say, I hope that everybody Checks out his work at Addicted to Quack. He does great film breakdowns, and he mentioned this a couple of times in that conversation, film breakdowns uh, on, on players like Anthony Brown when the Ducks grabbed him from Boston College, film breakdowns on coaches, like potentially, maybe, uh, a, a new defensive coordinator this offseason for Oregon? We don't know. Um, film breakdowns when Joe Moorhead got hired as OC. Film breakdowns on all sorts of stuff. AddictedToQuack.com. And also our friend QB11 at Scoop Duck. He does a ton of work that you Scoop Duck readers know. Breakdown on, on new recruits, on coaches, on the Pac 12. And I love the. Uh, the game film rooms that he's been doing where he streams that and and basically just has a conversation and a classroom for everybody to learn about the X's and O's of the game. So those guys are doing a lot of great stuff. We love having them and uh, I'm sure we'll have them again this year.
3: Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, we've kind of become a a culture, a society of where the why is important. You know, uh, why is Oregon running this particular play? Why is the defense set up? in this alignment you know the, all those things are going through fans heads and when you have somebody explain it to you in the way that Hith or qb11 is able to do it really answers that why for you see so you, mm-hmm. you still don't have to agree with it but you can at least say hey look i understand why the coaches are doing this you know this the statistics you know illustrate that you know this sets them up for the best success or or you know whatever the case might be so uh no i mean their work is 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 unmatched in my opinion, in our market, I know there are other individuals that do it uh, for other teams, and that it's a lot more prominent with uh, SEC programs. Uh, not so much with Pac-12 schools. I think we're we're very fortunate as a fan base, an Oregon yeah. fan base, to have those individuals looking at the Ducks that way because it really answers a lot of the of the whys that the casual fan is, and, and even myself more than the casual fan. It, I mean, the the intense fan as well. So. Uh, and, and I'm glad they're, you know, so willing to be a part of the show because oftentimes it's pretty short notice and they're, you know, like QB11's working it, working it in right in between uh, work stops or whatever the case might be to, uh, I mean, help make our podcast better. So yeah. I'm very thankful for them and, and, and just having them in general in the market. So, yeah, check both them out. Scoop, excuse me, uh, QB11 has a Twitch stream. Uh, I know he tweets about it often. It's on the Scoop ScoopDuck board. Uh and if you don't check out Addicted to Quack, make sure you do look at Hitler Day stuff at the very least uh on their site. He does share it on ours, but you still need to click over to theirs to view it, which mm. is which is only fair uh because that's where it's originating from. Yeah.
0: Yeah, hell of a compliment when uh, you you just go out of your way to promote a competitor, basically. But you do it because his stuff is that good. Uh, we, we we got a few things to cover in the rest of the pod. Uh, I want to talk hoops for a few minutes. Want to get into five bowl games that we think you should watch this weekend. But I, I have to remind people, we didn't do a podcast yesterday for this reason. We thought Andy Avalos... Was going to go to Boise State.
3: Uh, what do you think about that situation, my friend? Um, you know that's that's really intriguing. It's is almost, uh, almost very, uh, you know, Willie Taggart esque. You know, in just the regards. Now, this is a DC, not a head coach, but it's pretty well known that there was one job that could open up that could lure Andy Avalos right away, and and it was Boise State, and then it just so happens. To have opened up, which you know that's been a pretty steady school uh, as far as coaching goes, uh, from its transition to Chris Peterson uh, into Brian Harson, and uh, well, here you go, Harson has taken the Auburn job, and now it's open. Mm-hmm. Um, just you know, same thing with with FSU. You know that that school had been had a had a coach in place for forever, and next thing you know, it opened up, and just happened to be a matter of circumstance. I, I mean, I think I think it's pretty clear that Boise State favors Kellen Moore, uh, the Dallas Cowboys OC. I think that he's the top guy for the job. And I think that that from the onset, something I felt about Boise State is that they would probably like to go offensive minded if possible. Um, I, I don't think, I, I mean, I think Andy Avalos was going to be under consideration no matter what, because of how respected he is there and how much he means to that program. Uh, but I do think that there was a little bit of a push to go offensive minded and Kellen Moore fits that. But I think Andy Avalos is, is right below him. I think he's I mean, I think it's a matter of, you know, can can they make a deal with Kellen Moore? Do they have the money? Um, you know, is he is he that interested or does he want to stay in the NFL? Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, we haven't gotten the answer to those questions. I think Boise State's probably giving him some time to to go over that and think about it and possibly present who he could hire as a staff if he were to take the Boise State job. Uh but I think uh I think if that window closes there, I think they will immediately pivot to Andy Avalos and, and probably look to lock that thing up. And I think they'll be able to. I mean let's let's be real. They'll they'll be able to double his salary, you know, from what he's making at Oregon. Uh he'll be a head coach, which I know he aspires to be, you know, he'll be in control. And, uh, you know, he certainly would love to move back to Boise State. I know he loves the area. So do we have an answer? No. Will we get one tomorrow? Who knows? Um, you know, that's the hard part about this is, you know, the Ducks are are three to three to four days away mm-hmm. uh, from their bowl game and preparing for that in a tough Iowa State team. And you have your defensive coordinator obviously being courted for a head coaching job. So I don't know if it will be answered prior to that bowl game, possibly that bowl game might be the ultimate audition for Andy Avalos. It's, it's kind of tough to say. Boise, that's the thing. Boise State isn't in a bowl game. So, um, you know, unless there's a major, major press to get going on recruiting, which I understand is important, but I don't know that Boise State's in a position that they need to panic for that at this moment. Perhaps you can take a, a week and see what transpires in the bowl game, and, and maybe that's his audition or yeah. You know, I don't know, but yeah, that's what that's what I know. I think he's definitely one of the top two guys. It just doesn't mean that he'll get the job.
0: Yeah, I've got a couple of thoughts. First and foremost, I think you're a hundred percent right on all the reasons why Boise is a good fit for Andy and why Andy is a good fit for Boise. Um, I think from their perspective, and this is just my personal opinion. I've said this on my show. I've said it on Twitter over the years. I think the dumbest thing, that sports teams, professional and college, do is they rush hiring processes. You have a position that is so important, especially in in college sports, your head coach is – essentially your head coach and the equivalent of a general manager for a professional team because you're going out recruiting players, you're evaluating those recruits, you are handling every aspect of your coaching staff and, and, and the processes and organizations of your team. Uh, you know, Coach K handling the flight itinerary at Duke, things like that. The fact that schools rush these decisions I think is haphazard and often leads to the wrong decision being made. And so I think the best thing Boise can do in this situation is just wait. If they really want Kellen Moore, the best thing for him and for them is to at least wait out the regular season. That means Sunday. Cowboys play it in the the morning slot, 10 a.m. If they lose that game... They're not they're out of the playoffs and Kellen Moore can pack his bags and go to Boise. If the Washington football team wins later that Sunday night, same deal. The Cowboys are out of the playoffs. Kellen Moore can start looking at that blue turf again. If they win, I think it comes down to this. Would you rather wait for Kellen Moore? which we see NFL teams do all the time. They'll hold out till a guy has the end of his season. Would you rather wait for Kellen Moore or would you settle for Andy Avalos? Uh, yeah. I, I think that I, I'm with you. Avalos just spoke at a press conference yesterday. He didn't tip his hand either way. I don't think there's going to be a decision made this week. I think they wait till at least Sunday night, Monday morning, and that's if the Cowboys' season ends. And then you really see what decision is made. I think if if they're in a rush, if they're in a pinch, and it's close, I think you take Andy Avalos. And if their heart is set on Kellen Moore, I think they wait for Kellen Moore.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think the ball is in Kellen Moore's court. I think, you know, if he's entertaining the idea of going to college as a head coach, you know, there's a great opportunity for him. And let's face it, I mean you know, no, the Mountain West isn't the Pac-12 or the SEC or the Big 12, but it's pretty respectable and you're going to walk into a pretty loaded roster. You're going to walk into, you know, a a team that you can win with. This isn't a rebuild. This is, hey, I'm going to walk in and be competitive from day one. Might not be my guys, but they're going to be good enough. Um, You know, the the hard part is, is a lot of folks seem to think that Kellen Moore is very close to being a head coach in the NFL, which... You know, that's a big step up for him. And I, and I think there's there's two things here. I, I think being a head coach in the NFL is easier in regards to uh, all the things you need to do. Sure, you need to still, you know, handle salary and and, and deal with some egos and some of the other things. But when you get to college, there's way more on your plate. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to recruit. You've got to, you know, build a coaching staff. You've got to do a lot more things. You've got to wear a lot more hats and you got to wear them every day. Uh, I'm not saying that co- coaching and in, in, in college football is harder than it is in the NFL. I'm just simply saying it's a different type of man- manager. Right. And, uh, right. You know, I think Kellen Moore really needs to decide, do I want to take this chance and go down and need to do all these things and be really good at them or, you know, or am I good? Yeah, I mean, let's face it without Dak, the Cowboys were not very good. And, and that, that put a major, uh, you know, hitch in their giddy up, if you will. So I think, I think if you're, personally, if it's me, if I'm Kellen Moore, I stay put. I, you know, I think Mike McCarthy's on the hot seat a little bit, you know, Jerry Jones loves you. Dak's going to come back next year. You're probably going to be better offensively, uh, because he's a much better quarterback than Andy Dalton or whoever else was out there Mm -hmm. at other points. I think you've got a lot of things pointing the right direction for you to stay with the Cowboys and ride that thing out for a year or two. Yeah. Um, I'm not, of course, it's it's entirely his decision. It's something different than that. I think for Andy Avalos, this is a no-brainer. If you're offered the position at Boise State, you take it. That's where you want to go. It's a natural fit. You can win there. It's a really, really good, uh, for me, it's very much the Scott Frost move to UCF, okay? I'm not comparing them as coaches. I'm simply saying I think Scott Frost did himself a great service going to UCF. He walked into a pretty loaded team that was already pretty well built and and took that and ran with it. And that obviously springboarded him to the Nebraska job. I think Andy Avalos is a better coach. I'm not comparing him that way, but I think it's the same path. And I think three good seasons at Boise State could springboard him onto some other bigger jobs if he would decide to pursue them. I think it's a great fit for him.
0: Yeah. and, And you mentioned the roster that UCF had when Frost took over. I like that comparison. I think this job is even better for Andy because he played there, he loved being there, he coached there, and he only left because he had a perfect offer, right? You get to work for a coach that has national championship aspirations, you get a huge pay raise, you still get to live in the Pacific Northwest, you get to work in the Pac-12, and you get to work for a school that, fills the cupboard with marquee talent guys that you were never going to get to go to Boise like Kayvon Thibodeau um, I, I think Oregon made sense for him two years ago and I think Boise makes sense for him now
3: yeah and I know Jeff Choate's in there too the the Montana State coach and that's a great fit too I just th- I just think that it's Kellen Moore and Andy Avalos at the top with him probably in third and I'll I'll be honest, right now, all three of those are, would be really good hires for Boise. I don't think there's a bad pick in that group. No. I mean, I think no. those are three great coaches and I I think that speaks uh, you know, like you said, it was it's I think for Boise, just be patient, just be smart. There's no rush. You know, you're not in a bowl game. Recruiting's not, you know, super intense at the moment. You could probably even get to mid-January if you had to and and hit things running and still have a very competitive, if not really good, recruiting class. Um, I, I, I think I think the job's easy there uh, right now. I, like you said, take your time, make the right hire. Uh, you know, vet your guys out, and if that means you got to wait till Sunday to interview both of them formally, you know, what are we talking about at this point? Three or four more days, mm-hmm. no big deal. Right. Totally different for you know uh, for a coaching change in mid December. You know, and then you've got the early signing period. And you're putting if it's a you know if it's a a Power Five school if it's a Pac-12 or SEC program you're like what Auburn did I mean they were under the gun because of the of the timing they did their coaching search that from a recruiting standpoint that really did them a disservice now whether Brian Harson was their top target the whole time or not remains to be seen I doubt it I'm I I I I've, I have mixed reviews about that hire personally for Auburn mm-hmm. Yeah no
0: I I was. I was more fond of it until I read some of the same stuff you did from your scoop duck readers. Uh, you've got folks in Boise that, that count Boise state as their number two team. And I totally understand that. As one of my college roommates was uh, from Middleton Boise suburb. People are obsessed about that team over there. And, um, and we read a lot of stuff about Brian Harson might not be the best guy. Um, I want to kind of change gears here just to cover the backsides in case we're wrong about Andy and Boise State comes out an hour from now and says, we found our next coach. Who would you
3: like as a replacement defensive coordinator? Uh, There's a lot of options. That's a great question. There's a lot of options, and I don't want to give them all away at the moment, but uh, I know people will have a tough time accepting this, but I, I genuinely feel that it's different. I believe, I believe that if given the opportunity, Ken Wilson can lead this defense. I believe that he of anybody on staff would be the most likely successor to Andy Avalos. Should he leave? Now I understand Keith Hayward's on the staff and has a co DC title. I understand that Joe Salavea is on the defensive staff and has a co DC title. I'm saying, and I'm saying it with confidence, I'm not just throwing a dart at a dartboard here. I think Ken Wilson can be the guy and is the odds-on favorite to be the guy if he decides to hire within, decides to promote within. Now, we know this about Mario Cristobal. He will be diligent. He will interview a half dozen, if not more, candidates for this job. There will be uh, some proven guys. There will be some young and -and up-and-comers You know, there's a lot of ways he can go here. That's the thing. There's a lot of flexibility. He can go out and simply hire a DC if he wants to do that. Should he decide to say, hey, look, I'm going to promote Ken Wilson from within, then you've got a number of things you can do there. You can go out and get yourself a position coach and give them co DC ability if you need to do that to justify pay. There's a lot of flexibility there. So, um you know i I believe it certainly sounds like from reports uh you know don brown's going to end up at arizona maybe sooner than later that's a uh, that's a really good hire for jed fish down there in my opinion that's a really good defensive coordinator for arizona which is important to note um i think that's a great get for them he'd probably be off the board by the time all this goes down if i had to guess but it doesn't mean that's the, the last name on the list um the most ironic twist of all absolute most ironic twist of all uh, you know what's kevin Steele gonna do from auburn i mean is that a guy that you bring over i mean he's a dc down there obviously was pining for the job at auburn i can't imagine that him and brian harson would coexist those are two very yeah intense personalities <laughs> it's crystal ball and levitt 2.0 yeah 100 percent. yeah way too much way too much fire in that room. So, you know, is that a guy, you know, that's certainly an interesting choice uh, that, that I would mention. There's a couple others that I have my name my eye on because obviously uh, you know, I have to prep for this situation should it come uh, to fruition. But uh, you know, for now, those are a couple of the names that I think are obvious Um, you know, last but not least. And I'll say it because it's, I mean, I, I'd almost, I'd consider it a no brainer, but you talk about Derek Mason and you know, I don't, I didn't re I haven't read, I don't think he's finalized the deal with Michigan at this point. I know there's a lot of talk there. I know that's one of the programs he's interested in. Uh, you know, for me, I, uh, Derek Mason would be a home run hire for Mario Cristobal at DC yeah. as well. I think that's, you know, that checks off a ton of boxes for Mario Cristobal. Um, you know, and, and it seems like a great chance for, for coach Mason to kind of, you know, make maybe maybe take the Joe Moorhead route. Okay, you're yeah. you're not a head coach at this point. Go learn from somebody that is and is seemingly doing a really good job at it. Go go learn from him for two or three years and see if you can get back to that level and somebody wants to give you another shot. Um, so again, those are the immediate names that come to mind. Um, and again, that's probably only like one quarter of the guys that Mario Cristobal <laughs> end up interviewing.
0: Right. Right. I mean, it's it's an exhaustive process. We saw that last year with offensive coordinator. Uh, you mentioned Derek Mason. I'll just say this. If they go that route, I think every job posting for the foreseeable future has to mention you need X number of years as a head coach in the SEC. Between him and Moorhead and, and Cristobal's background as the assistant at Bama, it's, it's clear that Mario
3: would be coveting SEC guys? I, I think so. Um, yeah, I don't even know that it's that per se. I just, I uh, you know, I, I that, that's interesting. It's really interesting to think about because it seems as though the SEC for a while there, and, you know, this is, it, and maybe even still, but, you know, three, four, five years ago, kind of got tired of the retreads, you know, and, and there was a, a sudden push to, you know, go outside of the conference looking for the next up and comer and bring them in and have them revitalize your program. That's what Vanderbilt thought they were getting in Derek Mason. It's mm-hmm. clear that that's what Mississippi state thought they were getting with Joe Moorhead. Uh, you know, we've seen that happen. Uh, I mean, and then I don't know And it is did Mississippi state double down and do that with Mike Leach this time, which really didn't go all that well this season. Um, you know, I think for Mario Cristobal, do you like those SEC guys? Sure. I mean, why wouldn't you? They, they are going to come in and recruit uh, very similar to how he recruits. You know, it's going to be uh, hard-nosed. And I, and I think there's this. I think a lot of people think, all right, when Mario Cristobal hires coaches, obviously he's going to have recruiting in mind. It's not going to be everything, but it's going to be in mind. and And you really want to recruit the Western footprint really well. So he's going to have to get a guy with ties to L.A. and Arizona or whatever. And I don't think Mario Cristobal thinks that way. I think he believes that a good recruiter can recruit everywhere. Now, sure, will they need to, you know, let's say Brian McClendon, for the, for instance, he comes from South Carolina, has never been to the West Coast. Mario Cristobal hires him. That guy's a tenacious recruiter. We know that. I mean, he's 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 got the billing. You know he's going to recruit. He doesn't have any ties out west, but it didn't seem to hurt him in this cycle, which a lot of the the heavy lifting had already been done. But I think you can give a guy like that a little bit of time to go and develop relationships with these coaches, these seven on seven guys, these high school coaches, these you know these counselors, these other people that you need to. And if he can recruit, he can recruit them the same as he can recruit the people back in his other footprint. So um, I, I just I just think that some people place a heavy emphasis on having to have uh socal or west coast ties and, and i think that's valuable but i i just don't think that that's the end all i think that it's uh you know i think mario cristobal can identify other really good recruiters and and help them because again when mario cristobal came to oregon he didn't really recruit the west coast i mean it was you know a guy or two at most in any class it wasn't yeah. many and uh i mean he's obviously fared pretty well out here
0: Oh, that's the truth Let's change gears. Uh, Five college football games we think you should watch. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. We're not going to count the Fiesta Bowl in this, but we don't need to, because there's a lot of good college football this week. I'll go first. I want to start with this one. Thursday morning on CBS. San Jose State, Ball State, I bring this up because of San Jose State, because of how great that story has been this year, because how neat it is that they kept their coach, at least for now, I want to see the Spartans on Thursday.
3: Yeah, I can't believe uh, Brennan didn't end up with a job somewhere, I thought that would have been a a good hire for Arizona, Uh, you know, frankly, Boise State, if they don't want to compete against San Jose State maybe that's the guy they should have targeted but maybe they don't have any more money but yeah I didn't write that one down but I did see it and I I, as soon as you said Thursday morning I figured I knew where you were going with this thing and 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 so yeah that's a good one I think San Jose State will will roll all over Ball State and and like you said it's kind of a fun program to watch Mm -hmm. yeah
0: yeah you you talk about how Boise just has an easy time recruiting San Jose State has so much potential to be right there with them because of the Bay Area.
3: Yeah, there's a lot of talent in the Bay Area. I think people should know this about me. I, I preach the Bay Area often. I think there's a lot of overlooked talent there year in and year out. I know Oregon has had great success in the Bay Area the last decade, pulling some really great players out of the area. And, uh, you know, I, I think a guy like, you know, I, I think San Jose State and a guy like Brennan recognized that and said, hey, we just really need to recruit this area really well <laughs> and not move outside our footprint. And I think he's done that and been successful with it. So, yeah, credit to him. And that's been a great coaching story. Um, I know earlier I mentioned the Alamo Bowl, which is later tonight, Texas versus Colorado, six o'clock on ESPN. I think that's going to be a good game. I think that could be a great Thing for the Pac-12 if Colorado could beat Texas. I think it'll be a tough game, but I think that is an opportunity for, for, for Colorado to really help the the uh, identity of the Pac-12 if they can get a win later tonight. So that's one of mine as yeah. well. I didn't
0: have that game, but I respect it because this is Colorado's season. They didn't get a Pac-12 title game. The, the, the team bus literally had to park halfway between Boulder and L.A. in case... They had to play in the Pac 12 title game. This is their season. This is their chance. And I think they make the most of it.
3: Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, next for me would be, you know, tomorrow being Wednesday, uh, the Cotton Bowl, Florida versus Oklahoma. Uh, I, I think that'll be a good game. Uh, clearly, Vegas agrees because it's a three point spread. Oklahoma's the favorite there, 5 o'clock ESPN. That should be a pretty fun game as well. I did have that one written down. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't have it just because I thought those teams underperformed a little bit for me this year, but I get it and I look at it this way, anytime you have two blue chip programs in college football clash, it's worth watching.
3: 100%. Yeah, that's the reason I have it. I think it's just a, I think it's just a good matchup and it's not one uh that we see often and like you said it's two blue chippers, you know, going head to head. Uh, you know, Friday, I think we can agree. Friday is just a big day in terms of football. No you doubt. The Northern, yeah. You got yeah. The, the, the Notre Dame and Bama, the Ohio state and Clemson, <laughs> you know, both those games are going to be played one at one o'clock, one at five o'clock. Uh, however, apparently one of them is not going to be very good because, uh, Alabama is favored by 19 and a half points over <laughs> Notre Dame on Friday. Uh, I got to agree there. I think Alabama is going to steamroll them, uh, sugar bowl, Ohio state and Clemson. Clemson is the favorite by seven and a half there. I do agree. I think Clemson's going to beat Ohio State, but that's going to be a really good football game in my opinion.
0: Yes. Yeah. Uh, Bama-Clemson, we get another Bama-Clemson title game. I'm, I'm with you. Uh, yeah, and, and I have the college football playoff down, obviously. I put them in one kind of cheated because, to me, I'm, I'm just going to keep ESPN on pretty much all New Year's Day. Um, the uh, Third game for me, Liberty Bowl, and this is purely because I I always enjoy watching triple option teams and because I think Army kind of got shafted by the, uh, the bowl committees where originally they, they won, I think, nine games and got left out, no bowl. They had to wait for a team to drop out. I want to see Army. I want to see what the cadets do and um, see how they match up with a Power Five program.
3: Yeah, no, that that one should be interesting. I didn't have it down. Uh, should I guess I went pretty much blue chippers, but uh, I had A and M and North Carolina for for Saturday. Obviously, Ooh. the Duck game yeah, will yeah, be yeah. on. But I think that A and M North Carolina game uh, can be good. I know there was a the reason is there was a lot of talk about A and M and. And, and them feeling uh, kind of jilted, not getting into the college football playoff, uh, finishing number five. I think North Carolina beats them. I, I just, yeah. I don't believe in A&M. I think North Carolina can beat them. And if they don't beat them, it's going to be a damn close game. So I have that one. And uh, I had to throw this one in just because it's my last one. But I had to throw this one in. Georgia and Cincy. Yes. I had to, have, yeah. had to have that game. Yeah. I I mean, I know that we're all pulling for Cincy. I think it's a great story. I think it would be the ultimate middle finger to the committee if Cincy can pull that off, but it's not going to be easy, let's face it.
0: <laughs> I look at it this way, because I have that game on the list too. 9 a.m., New Year's Day, ESPN. It's like a matinee for the college football playoff later that day. Yeah. I look at it this way, every generation – you have a college football team from what we consider a Group of Five conference. Uh, Boise State over Oklahoma is the all-time best example. But I know TCU can be in this conversation from years past. I know that that UCF can be in this conversation from what they did back in the day. You have a team from outside the grown-up table that turns that table over and takes the world by storm and Cincinnati should have been the four seed in a fair world But we don't live in one I think Peach Bowl 9 a.m. New Year's Day is their chance to prove why and and I I, I'm rooting like you I'm rooting hard for Cincinnati I know that they have the uh, recruiting disparity I know they don't have the talent that Georgia has I don't care I want to watch I want to see what they do.
3: Well, and let's be real—they need to win. I mean, they, in order to have any shot at turning around this notion, you know that that the that the G five schools don't belong, you know, ever. They got to win, and I, I hate to put this on Cincy. I mean, they, but they, they need to win, and they need to beat Georgia, um, and then that way we can hopefully kind of reverse you know, some of this conversation a little bit, because I think they, des- you know, sometimes they do deserve, I think, I think they're get I get not Cincinnati per se, but like you said, it can be a Boise. It could be, you know, one of those other programs that's always an outlier that just kind of gets the shaft. And I think, uh, I think this can help just the same way that I think Oregon and Colorado can help the PAC 12 uh, by winning their bowl games to right. help try and turn around a little bit of the, well, just of the, easy target the Pac-12 has become for national media.
0: Right. Um, speaking of the Pac-12, Pac-12 champs are playing on the second, and my last game is a matinee for that one. 9.30 a.m. ABC, January 2nd, Outback Bowl. I put this down because of Indiana. When you only lose one game all year, and that one loss is – an Ohio State team that could go all the way—I think that says a lot about you.
3: Yeah. If we if we weren't if I didn't write down uh, the the playoff games the two right. play Ohio State, Clemson, Notre right. Dame, Alabama, you, you counted that game them was separate from the it. Right. You, you count yeah. them
0: separate. I I smashed them together. I cheated.
3: I have six. Yeah. Well, and I, we probably shouldn't have even counted them, but that game's on the list for me too. I I think Indiana's going to win that game. Um, and I do think they got a little bit cheated and, and what a hell of a season they had. I mean, I, they came out of nowhere. Nobody was even remotely giving them a chance. And, you know, like you said, they had a tremendous season. So, uh, yeah, that would be, that one would be on my list as well. If I had erased the two, uh, playoff games.
0: Okay. All right. So fork in the road, want to talk basketball for a couple minutes?
3: Yeah. Just put the, I mean, yeah, there's not too much uh, about it other than I think maybe mentioning the games and the fact that we're about to enter conference play.
0: Yeah, yeah, we'll be real brief with this. We promise. After the Fiesta Bowl, we'll talk more hoops on the pod, but we'll, we'll get to what we can right now. This is a basketball. Oregon men in the top 25. I love it.
3: Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I, I know we've talked about this. I feel like I'm beating a dead horse, but just the versatility of this team. Um, you know, the, the the depth of this team, which even Dana Altman has said, you know, this is one of the deepest teams he's ever had, if not the deepest. Um, doesn't make it the most talented, but, you know, it's really nice when you're able to rotate eight, nine deep and, and keep those guys fresh and, and play at a high level. I mean, every coach loves that. So, um, you know, sky's the limit. I know they've got some new pieces coming in as well. You know, the, the loss of Dante definitely is going to hurt. You know, you, you, you never want to lose a big man. But I do think that this Ducks team can go very far this year uh, if they can stay healthy. Yeah. Uh,
0: I I will point out they got the Bay Area schools this weekend, Uh, Stanford and Cal. I think Cal is extremely beatable. Oregon State took care of them really early in December. And uh, Stanford might be the inverse of that. They might be tough to top. Uh, Shootout with Arizona. Back in mid-December, I am I'm really excited to see how this Duck team stacks up. If you go 2-0, wow, you're the class of the conference. If you split, I think you're still good enough for the top 25 right now.
3: Yeah, and I, and again, this is a team that, that's got a lot of new pieces to it. It's going to get better. I mean, unless they suffer a huge string of injuries, they're going to get better. And I think if you can just you know, play consistent, good basketball right now, you'll take that, and then obviously, you know, once you head into February, once you start getting into March, hopefully you can turn it up a notch. Yeah,
0: and the ladies are playing the L.A. schools this week. Uh, USC, Friday night. Uh, If you live in the Eugene area, obviously, you can turn in your radio for that one. I think they air those on uh, 590, the A.M., and then Sunday... To me, this is one of the biggest games of the year. UCLA comes to town Sunday 1 o'clock. I know that UCLA is not the highest-ranked team in this matchup, but I have UCLA as the favorite on Sunday just because I think they're an older team and a sneaky good team if you've seen them this year. They have girls that can dunk. They have a, a defense that is really versatile. Uh, this is a a really eye opening week for the women. You, you really get to see how they stack up against elite
3: talent in the Pac twelve. Well, and that's a, that's the thing with this being a a newer team to Kelly Graves and a ton of new pieces. I think if if they're gonna lose, it's gonna be early in the season. I think you know probably by the end of the season again, like a Dana Altman team, he'll have them humming. It doesn't mean they can't lose, but I think they'll be playing pretty good basketball once again. Uh, If they're healthy, I think if you catch them, you're going to be able to catch them at the front of the season and and just, you know, kind of shock them a little bit. But, you know, that said, is a really fun group to watch. Um, It's just it's it's tremendous uh, to see what Coach Graves has done. And I am it's bittersweet. I am bummed that, you know, our last football game is going to be this Saturday. But I'm also not bummed because I'm really excited to be able to shift some focus to the men's and women's basketball teams because I think they're both good and I think it has a chance to be a fun season as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, especially after the way last year ended. This can be a really special year for everybody in those programs. Uh, well, we're doing great on time. How about lock of the week? Lock of the week. <laughs> ah, ah! If I gave you all one guess on what we were going to talk about, I think you'd all nail it. Lock of the Week, Fiesta Bowl, Oregon plays Iowa State. Lock of the Week. What, what's your strongest prediction for this game, my friend?
3: Well, you know, it, it's there's two ways I want to go here, and hopefully what I'm about to mention doesn't take either of yours. But I'm going to be on the offensive side of the ball, so hopefully that doesn't gel over to you uh as excited as i am that i think devin williams and Jalen red can have an impact on this game i think this is a game that johnny johnson absolutely eats i think with the way the defense of iowa state stacks up i think they're going to have to really pick their battles and i think johnny johnson's going to be the forgotten man and one of the reasons that i'm going with johnny j specifically great player has had a fairly quiet season this year I believe that he's probably not one of the players you'll see back next year. I'm going to guess that maybe this is his ride off into the sunset, and if that's the case, I think he's going to want to go big. He's going to give it all he's got. If he can get Tyler Shuck to look his direction, I think he'll be open, and I think he has a very big impact on this game in the same way that he had a major impact on the Rose Bowl last year against Wisconsin. Uh, you know, scoring, uh, what he had one or two touchdowns last year, but he had a big game, uh, played really well. I think it's Johnny Johnson's turn this week to have just a monster game on offense, uh, be a big catch guy, get a touchdown. I really wanted to go Sean Dollars here, and I almost did, but I'm going to stick with Johnny J because I think this is his last game as a Duck.
0: I like that. I like that. I'm going to go in a different direction. We talked about him earlier. Uh, Is one of um, the—interviewing him is one of the proudest moments that I've had in this pod. Andy Avalos a guy that we were on immediately when Oregon hired him. We we did a podcast that day talking about how this was a home run and how he wouldn't be here for long, meaning sooner rather than later, a school would realize he has potential to be a great head coach in college football I believe that Boise gives him that opportunity. I believe that that he's going to be the next head coach at Boise State. But I believe that that decision will be made after the Fiesta Bowl. So, my prediction for Saturday is that this is the game for Mandy Avalos. I think he pours his heart out into this game plan. I think that You're going to see a lot of creative pressures. You're going to see a lot of mixed coverages, turnovers, sacks, and a defensive performance that is going to make all of those complaints and concerns from earlier this year pale in front of what we see Saturday. Uh, The Oregon defense is going to come out and play their best of the year. I really believe that.
3: And, uh, I mean, with a guy like, you know, uh, to, to your point, with a guy like Jordan Scott obviously declaring he's not coming back, you're going to have some guys, you know, Lenore, Lenore might not announce his decision prior to the game. I've got a feeling he's got his, his mind made up in you know, in his own mind. And if he's deciding, if he's going to go to the NFL and not come back, you're going to see some of those defensive leaders basically balling out, leave it all, leave it all on the table, leave it all on the field. And, and that obviously would be a big, big help for Andy Avalos and, Potentially his swan song uh, with the Ducks. That's a good call. I think. Uh, I think this. I think if Oregon is able to stop the run game enough, which they, which is the strength of this defense, typically, if Oregon's able to stop the run game and put up a few points, they're going to make Iowa State one dimensional, and that one dimension is going to be the passing game where they struggle, and you could really see that thing kind of cavalcade after that. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Oregon, Iowa State, we talked about it a ton, gone over an hour, hit about every angle of this game as we possibly could. Uh do you have any parting words for the fans out there?
3: Nope. No, that's it. That's a wrap for me. I mean, it's been a good been a good podcast, been a good year. I'm glad we had football to distract us all and and give us this, but uh I'm excited for one last game and and I got a feeling next week we'll have a really good pod talking about the game and potentially any coaching matters that come up after that as well
0: i I just want to clarify editor's note it has not been a good year so luckily (laughs) this year comes to a close very shortly uh when we return it'll be a new year it'll be a new dawn and we hope a new bowl trophy win in the trophy collection for mario cristobal's ducks thanks for listening we'll talk to you next week go ducks
2: Is that I've